Thailand for a fair while. Um, but we have, and we, as a church, we've been supporting them. But we did say, well, my fault, I decided that we would uh, start a, a, an Easter journey in keeping with Lent Yep, um, that would take us um, through towards Easter and we'd make our way through 1 Peter. So there are notes. These are actually notes for next week on the table back there. Um, I'm trying to be a week ahead so that um, there's stuff for small groups to do, and I'm going to try and discipline myself to talking for no more than 10 minutes, okay? And then I'm going to pass over. So I have a timer going. My, watch, my wrist will vibrate. So doing a series on 1 Peter, and um, why? We're doing it because I think Peter gives us courage, courage to be bold, something that we lack a bit now at the moment. I think that Peter is, um, has ways for us to be Christians and to be proud of it. And, and in fact, it's going to be great to hear from Chayat and Gail because they, working in Thailand, there's a place where Christians are very much in a minority. So actually, how you live is, is, is important. But I, I thought before we start this, we just need a little bit of context. So yes, I saw some grins. Um, the, uh, I've, I've imported a time machine. I want you to imagine that you're stepping into a time machine. If you're a Doctor Who fan, it can be the TARDIS. If you have some other preference, preferential time machine, you'll have to imagine it yourself. Um, and we travel in the time machine back to the times of King Solomon. So we arrive in Jerusalem, we step out of our time machine, and there's this crowded city. And slap back in the middle is a temple. Now looking around, um, it's pretty clear that there's only one religion here. It's, uh, it's Judaism, it's the only one that's available. And in fact, if you look around and look at the crowd, then they're all Jewish. They've all got the beard and the, you know, the works, obviously not the women. Um, uh, I'm already in trouble, okay. <laughs> um, and, and there's one authority figure, you know, um, so you, you go to one figure to sort everything out instead of many, there's, there's one king. It's a slower paced life. Um, they have a Sabbath. You're not trying to rush things. There's a kind of a rhythm to daily life. Um, I've mentioned the central control of one king. Life, for most people, is relatively simple. If you're a peasant, well, you're, you know, there's a certain rhythm to the, the, the crops. In fact, I mentioned in Thailand, you'll see villages. There's a real kind of simplicity, not necessarily a nice one, to village life. Limited number of things you can do. And, uh, and as a result, you generally have a strong sense. People in this place and time have a very strong sense of who they are. So that's King Solomon's temple time. Make sense? Roughly? Okay. Back in the time machine. Anyone able to do a TARDIS impression? <laughs> uh, no preparation. No, I haven't recorded one. Okay. And we're going to travel again to a different time. Now we're going to travel uh, two, three hundred years later. And what we're going to find is that we're going to travel. Now we're going to be in Babylon, where the people of Israel have been caught and taken out of Egypt. They're no longer in charge. And so you look around, and there's a whole bunch of religions. There's lots of gods, lots of temples to gods, lots of, uh, lots of possibilities out there. Look at the people around you. Are they all Jewish? No, there's a whole bunch. There's, there's Jews and Arabs and probably all the Asians. I'm sounding racist. There's just a real mix of people. They, um, life is busier. There's no Sabbath breaks. Slaves don't get a day off. They're working pretty hard. Uh, although it's still very tightly controlled, there's a lot more authority figures in the mix. So you're not just going back to the king, they'll be your master. And as a result, life in this setting is quite complex. And instead of um, 
the first place King Solomon, some people would have said life is simple and sweet. This is more bittersweet. And as a result, it's harder to know who you are. These make sense? Anyone want to guess why I'm putting them up there? Um, this is also a chart that's been used in a very recently published book. Um, now, I didn't say this, but uh, back in that time machine, yep, out we come, and now we're in 1950s New Zealand. Well, most of New Zealand would at least claim themselves to be Christian, or partly Christian. Um, yes, New Zealand is largely Pākehā, Christchurch particularly so. We've been a very white uh, city. It's a slower-paced life. Um, only one out of two people in a couple are working, and there's no shopping on Sundays. Remember those days? New Brighton really misses them. It's very tightly controlled. Um, if you want to buy a bike part, you have to find the person who has the government license to import that kind. So I remember Campagnolo was the name, and it was very hard to get Campagnolo gear. You needed an import license to bring anything in. Life was relatively simple in that people knew who they were. Well, and if that fitted you, that was great, but if it didn't fit you, that was pretty awful. And now, well, lots of religions. Do you think that's us? Yeah. yeah. Here's a little chart. Christian and no, um, that's a little chart of um, census figures. And it's just showing the people who objected to answering the question. Um, that's the bottom line. The purple, uh, that's the purple line. The line that's slowly dropping down from after 1976, that's the number of people who are um, claiming themselves as Christians. And the line that's come, uh, gone down the bottom and gone up the top, that's the number of people who've said none about religion. Hmm. So we're living in this setting with lots of religions. It is diverse. Is it busy? What do you think? Oh, yes. Open source. Now, this is a tricky one. It used to be, back in this first series, when you asked a question, you would tend to ask your parents, your teacher, or I don't know who the next person up, the mayor. You know, I'll go to the encyclopedia. What happens now? First question. And actually, as parents, it's quite distressing. Your kids aren't going to come to you, first of all, with their toughest questions. They're going to ask Google. They are, because it's safe. Yeah? And in fact, there's been some research done on this. Here it is here. This is a chart of the, um, how people are using, how young adults, this is aged um, uh, 15 to 23, are using screens. And they kind of, the, um, the black one, it's the amount of taking in spiritual content. They would say for a typical um, uh, 15 to 23 year old, and this was done in more than America, um, and the, the largest square of all is the amount of time just spent watching a screen of some kind. Yep, because that's become our kind of default place, which is why you'll see the title they've got here is Digital Babylon. Not only is life more complex, not only is it harder to know than you are, but it's got even faster because all of us, most of us, are carrying a cell phone, this window into a digital world that's changing even faster. So why am I telling you this? Because our, we are living in a kind of Babylon, more like Babylon than King Solomon's Temple. And that's a tricky time to have a faith and live it. It's harder to know who you are, and it's confusing, and, and, and we're left wondering, well, how do I respond to that? Now, when Peter wrote, he didn't actually write that much, but there's two short letters in the New Testament when he writes to a bunch of um, cities, places in, in what we now call Turkey, and their sitting is very much like Babylon. 
lots of religious, lots of authority figures. We think he probably wrote about 60 CE or um, AD, which you ever prefer, mostly because we know that Peter is killed in um, 64. And we know that it's before the emperor Nero died because Nero was killed in 68. Now, I'm mentioning Nero because he was a Roman emperor and a complete nutter. And uh, a canny nutter, um, like some political figures have figured out, if you can scapegoat someone, it can work really well for you. So he scapegoated the Christians. He needed a scapegoat. And so there was this massive persecution. So if you were a Christian in these times when Peter is writing, it is a really risky thing for you. And to get a sense of this, um, Christians are, the churches that had been growing suddenly, they now had to hide. Um, Christians were being brutally murdered. And there's a, here's a line from the Fox's Book of Martyrs. This is what Nero did. He was thinking up inventive ways of killing people, killing Christians. He had some sewed up in the skins of wild beasts and then worried by dogs until they expired. So that's not a great death, but the one that um, I think's kind of really shocks me, and others, dressed in shirts made stiff with wax, um, fixed to axle trees, and set fire in his gardens in order to illumine them. Human candles. So you get the sense of risk here? I'm a Christian. Hmm. Do you want to claim that? Because to follow Jesus has suddenly become much harder. So when, uh, when Peter sits down to write, he's actually addressing a city very like ours. Not in charge. Lots of voices. Is this going to work out well? Now, I've got, I'm, I'm limiting myself for time. How am I doing? Oh, terrible. That's the 10 minutes gone. Okay. I'm not going to make the 10 minutes, but I promise I'll be short. I'm going to read this tiny bit. I'm going to point out just two things from it. Here we go. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius and a series of places who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. He calls them elect. We're going to have an election this year. That's when you choose. God chose you. He calls them exiles and scattered, which means this is not your home. If you're an exile, if you're a foreigner, things do not happen the way you would choose to have them happen. They happen another way and you have to work with that which I think is part of what we're discovering in Babylon. He acknowledges them as being scattered. And throughout this book, he will call us foreigners, sojourners, travelers, and even the word aliens in the American term, as in you don't belong to this country, as opposed to I don't think anyone here is green and has antennae. Um, though if you do, you're doing a great job of hiding it. And then he carries on, and, and a lot of his words are about um, identity. We're made holy, connected to Jesus to become like Jesus. We're obedient, we're sprinkled, and he wishes us grace and peace in abundance. But there's one phrase I just want to highlight for us of the many, and it's this one. It's new birth into a living hope which I think is at the absolute fundamentals of following Jesus. You are given a new birth into a living hope. Even when you don't know what the answers are. And that's, I think, kind of dramatic. Remember, this is a setting where step out of line and you might become a human candle. And he doesn't say there's going to be no suffering. He doesn't say you're going to get away with this. 
He says you have a new birth into a living hope. And the way he deals with that living hope is he keeps connecting them with the things that came from the past, with the prophets who looked forward. He keeps connecting with the things that are coming that Christ will be revealed, that apparently the angels are looking at us longingly wishing that they were in our position. How's that? He keeps connecting them and a living hope, which I... Gives you the equation realism plus hope equals resilience. There's a Christchurch word, isn't it? How resilient are you feeling? It's got to do with how well you deal with hope. And in our world, I'm just about to stop, the, the thing that we humans seem to not be able to avoid is we have to put our hope in something. So we put our hope in something. And in our world, people put their hopes in all sorts of things. That new car they're going to get. The money they've got saved for retirement. Endless things. But we have a living hope. And God's promise is that that hope will not abandon you, will not rust or fade or any of those things, because it's alive. And so what Peter will continue to do in the letter is get us to stand right next to Jesus. So we have the sense of the resurrected Jesus who loves us and is close to us. And that gives us this living hope. That's the theory. And that theory is all very good. Let's hear from some practitioners. Um, God, we pray for Gail and Chayat as they come and share. Uh, They'll share of their experiences in Thailand, some of their hopes and dreams. We ask for your presence, for the Spirit to work on them as they speak. We ask for your blessing on them. Give us ears that are quick to hear what the Spirit is saying. Amen. Go. Try it. Oh, I'm just managing to turn off the mics at the moment. That one's got a green light. That one's live. Thank you. Well, thank you, Colin. What a great word to start with, a living hope. Okay, um, sorry, I need to read script because my English is not um, like Thai language. So I have to look uh, when I talk. First of all, I would like to thank you, the the Parkland Church here, as our family, for uh, partnering with us for a long time. In fact, it's almost 20 years. For those who don't know us, my name is Chayot, and this is my wife, Gail. We have two adult sons, both living in the North Island, one in Hastings and one in Auckland. You were going to talk. Okay, uh, I would like to respond a bit to uh, Colin uh, preaching this morning. I was... uh, I followed Jesus when I was 13 years old. So in my school, only me and my brother followed Jesus. So the rest of the whole school is a Buddhist. So I, I facing, we are facing persecution, we call. Uh, teacher mock when we learn science or all sorts of things. But we come home and mom and dad said, the way of life and what we believe is the correct, is, is, is the answer of our our life, so we keep going, and we grouping as a community. 
But um, today, I follow Jesus for many years. I'm 58 now, so I don't know how to figure out from 13. But um, 